Go ahead and be seated. Now, way back last year when I turned 40, I went on a, on a great trip with my wife. It was one of those things, it's like, I don't know how long it's gonna be until I turn 40 again or 80. You know, if I'm doing special celebrations every 40 years, then it's gonna be a while. And I told my wife early on, I was like, when I turn 40, you and I, we need to go on like a special trip. Like just me and you, let's do this. And since it's my 40th, I get to pick what we do and where we go. That feels fair. And so we're gonna go to an all-inclusive resort. And I've never been to one. And this is one of those things, we, we found one in Mexico, we had friends who hooked us up with a good deal, and, and we went there. And when you have four kids, it's a fun experience to go somewhere, and it's like, I don't have to think about what costs what on the menu, because everything is free. When my room gets dirty, I have someone who introduced himself and said, okay, I'm going to be your butler for the next four days. If you need anything, you tell me. And I'm like, butler, we need more towels freshly folded towels that are sculpted into a goose appear on my bed. If it's 11.30 p.m. in the middle of the night and I want something to eat, I ring my butler and he brings me food. We wake up and we go play beach volleyball and we go fishing and we go swimming and we go snorkeling and it is the beautiful spot on the ocean in Mexico and life is good. And at any point when I need something, I have someone else that will just handle it for me. It's like, my room is messy. Come and clean it. And they come and clean it. But maybe you felt this way too, that you can be in the most beautiful place, but maybe two, three, four days into being away, there's part of you that's like, this is great, but I'm ready to be home. You know the feeling like, you know, this shower, this bathroom is immaculate. It's an amazing walk-in shower, a great big spa, jacuzzi tub. Like this is beautiful, but I'm ready for my house. I'm ready for the feeling of laying in my bed where I pull my covers over me. I turn off my light. It's my stupid dog that's waking me up in the middle of the night, laying on my feet. It's my kids who are asking me to make them snacks. Like I become the butler now, like I understand that, but there's just part of me that no matter where I go, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how much fun it is, there's part of me, probably like you, that reaches a point where it's like, I'm ready to be home. And I feel like God has designed this beacon inside of us that it has a desire to be home, that has a desire to be where we're supposed to be. And I believe that doesn't just point to our earthly home, but it points towards our heavenly home. And there's a sense that I hope you've had, and I hope you even have it now, that you know that there's places where you just belong. I hope you know that there's a heavenly home that you're headed towards as well. And today we're going to get into a passage from the Gospel of John chapter 14 that begins to talk about the way home. And to give you some context to the situation as we read Jesus' teaching in just a moment, in the previous chapters, Jesus has begun unpacking with his disciples that he is going to suffer and die. And as Jesus talks about this with them, it's troubling, like it's messing with their heart because in their mind, when the Messiah came, he was gonna overthrow the government and he was gonna set up the kingdom of Israel and they were gonna reign over the other kingdoms. And they understood the prophecies of the Messiah to just really be earthly, to be governmental. And Jesus was coming to establish a far greater kingdom than any one government. 
And so as Jesus began to talk about how he would suffer and die, their hearts were very troubled. And then in the previous chapter, he washed their feet and he served them. And all of these things were were unsettling to them. And then we're going to pick up, and I'm really going to focus in on verse 6 today, but I want to read verses 1 through 5, and we'll put these on the screen as I read them so that we have proper context as we look at the passage. And Jesus is speaking to them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am, I w- so I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you will know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know the way, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Amen, amen. As Jesus begins teaching, he first starts with the place that they're at and the place that they're feeling. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And I know, unfortunately, anxiety didn't go away in the time of Jesus. I know that fear didn't stop then. I know that even when we read the promises of scripture that tell us to cast our anxieties upon him, to be anxious about nothing, but pray about everything. I know that we know those truths. Anxiety still has this opportunity to just squeeze our heart, to stifle our joy. And Jesus in the midst of speaking to his disciples, he's telling them, although I've told you the difficulty I'm gonna walk through, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. There's, there's a moment that we reach an intersection with our anxiety and our worry where we have to make a decision. What is going to carry me through? Is it going to be my forethought? Is it going to be my preparation for the things that are going to be ahead? Is it going to be my own strength or is it going to be that God is going to carry me through this situation? And Jesus is saying, as you approach anxiety and you feel worry in your heart, trust in God. Allow your trust in God to overpower the rationale that says everything's going to fall apart. Do you know that your heavenly father works in your life? Do you know that he has a plan that he's bringing about and that he has has directed your paths in a specific way for a specific reason? Trust in the path as he guides you. He says, don't be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me. There's more than enough space for you in my father's house. And then we get to Thomas, who's been there with Jesus. And Thomas should be an encouragement to you because he asks the questions that probably other people were thinking, and he looks terrible for asking them. I mean, later after Jesus has been crucified, he says, I'm not gonna believe that Jesus is resurrected until I put my fingers in the gross holes in his hands where the nails were. That is a weird request to make, all right? I'm not gonna believe it until I get to touch the torn flesh. Thomas would say the weird things, and though he had heard Jesus teach so many times, he says, I don't know where you're going. I don't know what you're saying. We don't understand Jesus. And Jesus tries to clarify all the concepts that he had taught, all the parables that he had taught, all of the principles that Jesus had taught to them through this one simple picture. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the way. If you've seen how I treat people, you've seen the way that you're supposed to live. In fact, if you've seen me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father as well. And he describes it this way. He says, I am the way. You know, this desire that we have to be right with God, it's a good thing and it points us towards our heavenly home. And we all have 
a destination that we're heading towards. And Jesus makes clear that there is a way to heaven and he describes the way to heaven as himself in this passage. It's interesting, um, I have two ladders behind me and I'm gonna talk through them some today. The way that we live our life can be compared to, to trying to climb a ladder. And if I compare this ladder over here to the earthly things, it's like, okay, if you can get a job, you're, you're, you're doing good. If you can get a job where you have money to spend, you're doing really good. If you can get a spouse of the opposite sex who is fine, you're doing even better. And if you get older and you decide that you need to upgrade your car, your house, your spouse, our society says that's okay too. And what so many people have found that as they climb this ladder, if they're just committed to climbing the world's ladder, when they reach the top, they're not going to know where to go. So many people who have amassed great wealth have said that one of the worst things that can happen to you is for you to achieve all of your dreams. And if all of your dreams are as short-sighted as things that the earth can provide for you, I'm gonna tell you when you get to the top of the ladder, you're gonna fall and you're gonna fall hard. When you've invested your life into so many things that are worthless and you find out this is not the way, this is not fulfilling. Take your pick from the pop stars to the football players to the basketball players to the stockbrokers who have made millions upon millions and had everything the world could offer. Then they experienced the same thing that Solomon experienced that said that it's all fleeting. It's all worthless. That's not the way to live your life. But there's a fulfillment that you will find when you find what God has designed you to do, to invest in people, to make a difference in the world, to live the way that Jesus lived. When you discover that, you're gonna discover a greater joy than anything else. And so I love the way that C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if I find myself, if I find in myself, we'll put this up on the screen. If I find in myself desires, which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Even the experience of those who chase after all of the world's things, they reach a conclusion that scripture teaches that your heart and your mind and your soul was not just designed for the things of this world. There is a greater way to live your life than just chasing after those things. This passage as well, I wanna bring you to some of the Old Testament um, prophecy that describes even this picture that Jesus paints as he says, I am the way. In Isaiah chapter 35, there's this prophecy that speaks about Jesus. And it says, even the wilderness and desert, you can put this up on the screen as, screen as I read it. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with springs. And I had to look up how to say this flower, crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing in joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon and as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plains of Sharon. And then there the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. This is describing Jesus' ministry in Isaiah. 
He will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like, like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and the springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds will rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived and a great road will go through the once deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness, the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will only be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. It gives this grand picture of moving a wasteland to a paradise, of those who are hurt finding healing, that there becomes a highway that is made for the holy to travel straight and quickly in the direction that they should go. And I want to, you know, we, when we say things like a wasteland, I wanted to give you a picture of a wasteland to remind you what it looks like. As Isaiah paints what Jesus' ministry in his life would feel like, he says this is the starting point of the Messiah's ministry. It's like a wasteland. And I know there's so many people that say, would say, a wasteland describes the way my life feels right now. And this was the experience. This was the way that Jesus lived. This was the way that people felt when they were around him, that they would come to him broken. They would come to him hurting. They would come to him feeling hopeless. And by their time spent with him and hearing his message, there would be growth and change in them that would then look like this. Here are the crocuses that I had to look up. And this is the dramatic difference that Isaiah says the ministry of the Messiah would have. It would move you from feeling dead to feeling alive, from feeling dry to there being rivers. That there would be someone who is lame, that they would move to dancing. And the power of Christ at work in people did that in the pages of Scripture, and it still does it today. And there's a separation. Oh, it's a linguistic separation that drives me nuts. It's funny, we were talking, the band and I were talking, and I'm like, you guys are in some of my sermon notes, I think, because we're talking about the English language and how weird it can be. And it drives me insane that we find it culturally comfortable for someone to say, I believe in Jesus, but I just, I don't follow the things that Scripture teaches. I believe in Jesus, but I just don't think being connected to the church really matters. And it is a broken thing in our language to equate that believing in Jesus is in not doing anything that he taught, not doing anything that he commanded, not doing anything that brings joy to his heart is equivalent, is somehow the same to someone who follows what he teaches. And I want to reawaken your mind to the truth that if you believe in Christ, What that should mean is that you believe that what he said is true. That if you believe in Christ, that when he commands us to go and make disciples, that we as believers in Christ recognize that we have a primary duty to be making disciples in our city and making disciples in our household. I love you and I want the best for you. And some of you guys, I want to grab you by their shoulders and shake you. Because the sense is, my Christian duty is to check in and out of church. Your Christian duty, the way that Christ lived, look at the way that he lived. 
He said, I'm the way. Your Christian duty is to get your arms lovingly around someone and say, what can I pray for you for? Can we study scripture together? Can I tell you what I'm learning about from God? Where can I help you grow in your faith? How can I disciple you, help you mature in your faith? This is the calling for us who say Christ is Lord. If you're still figuring it out, then, then you're still figuring it out. But I want to tell you, fling yourself upon Christ and trust him because the way that he lived and the way that he'll live through you, it's gonna turn wastelands into fields of flowers. It's gonna turn death into life. The way that Christ lived set the example for the way that you should live. In answering Thomas, who, who didn't understand where he was going, Jesus said, I am the way. When, when Jesus was teaching and he was giving principles that were hard for people to accept, and, and a large part of Jesus' following left him, he turned to the disciples and he, he asked the question, are you guys going to leave too? Simon Peter had the, the right response in John 6, 68. And, and he said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have words that give eternal life. That's a, great, that's, a, that's a great thing to add to your definition of what it means to believe in Christ. That his words, he has the words of eternal life. That his words aren't just suggestions, but they are guides and they are guardrails that keep me on the way of life and the way of joy. It's important to know the way that you're supposed to be going. My wife and I were driving and we, and we were driving through Miami and I would, I would almost swear to you, the GPS was trying to break up our marriage. H have you been there before? Like I'm driving and man, I'm not super familiar with Miami, but there's a couple places where the road just like forks into four different directions. And my GPS says bear to the left. And I'm like, there's three exits on the left. Which one? And it did not answer me back. And so I just stayed to the most left one, which was the wrong one. And so here we are going the wrong direction. Okay, it's all right, it's just a five minute delay, but we're ready to get home, we're ready to get back to our kids, get back on the highway, it happens again. I feel like I'm a competent person, I can follow the directions when we're there, but they're confusing and it's trying to pull me. Like, I, we have to know where we're going. The world will try to interject, like, it's like, I know this is what Christ says, but don't you know all of the ways that there are? There's multiple ways is what our world tries to teach. This is not Paul's opinion. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says there's one way. Islam says there's another way. Jesus says there's one. Mormonism says there's another way. Jesus says there's one. Universalism says there's many ways. Jesus says there's one. There's one. To go back to the passage for you, Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This passage isn't about Christians puffing out their chest and saying, we're right and everyone's wrong. This passage is a responsibility and a privilege and a calling that is given to us that says the joy that you found in Christ must be shared with your city. 
the doors and walls must be broken down, that risks must be taken, that investments, investments must be made, that we carry this message out. Jesus is the way and he is the truth. There was no deception in him. There was no lie in him. And when he says there is only one way, there is only one way. There, there, there are many turns off in, in people's lives that they can take, but Jesus has called them to one way. One of the ways to describe uh, the, the truth and say that we believe the truth is to believe what scripture says about how to get to heaven and about how to live our life. And like I said before, the way that we live communicates what is true about us. And this isn't that we're all perfect because I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through what I've gone through with us before, but it's good to have this reminder. I'm gonna go through just a common language of the 10 commandments. And I'm gonna need your participation with me. And if this is true of you, I just need you to say, yup. All right, is that, is that dignified enough? Can you say, yup? All right, one more time because you gotta make sure everyone does it before you do it. So can you say, yup? Okay, great. Um, we believe in Christ. We have commandments about morality and scriptures, particularly the 10 commandments are a great clarifying thing for about what we believe and how we live. And so here's a question to just clarify who we are and how we see ourselves. When we say that, there's only one way and it's the way that Jesus said. Have you ever put something or someone above God in your life? All right, like 12 of you guys have, the rest of you guys are much holier than I. Have you ever cared more for something than you have about God? Yup. Have you ever treated God without the respect that he deserves? Have you ever failed to rest and worship every seven days? Have you have you been disrespectful to your parents at some point in your life? Parents looking at teenagers right now. Have you, been, have you hated someone? Have you looked at someone with lust? Have you taken something that was not yours? Have you lied? A lot of silent people in here are lying right now by not saying anything. Have you looked at something that was someone else's and wanted it? For those of us who are honest, we would say we have broken all 10 of the 10 commandments. Yep, that's right. She can keep it going. I got, I got one good honest person rolling with me. I love you. Um, to say that we know the way and we know the truth and we know the life is not to say that we're perfect. It's to say that we know the cure for sin, that, that we found the payment for the penalty that we deserve. And when you study what scripture teaches about us, that we have no righteousness of our own. We know the truth and we, we try to excel and we try to live and, and we put our sweat and our heart into living for God. But we also recognize, though we know the way, the truth and the life, we are someone who we have no righteousness of our own. All of our best is like filthy rags before him. All of the righteousness that we claim is given to us from Christ himself. And this is the truth about us. And this is also lived out and known in your life by the way that you live and treat other people. There's so many people within the church that will say, yes, I know that I'm sinful, but those people are terrible. Yeah, I know that I'm broken, but I'm just, I'm way better than they are. I'm not like those people who've done that, who do that. I'm not like those people who are addicted to that. I'm not like those impoverished people. I'm not like those people who are from a different place. Us Americans, we have a different value than the people who are from that country. Our lives matter differently. Like there's things that we are broken, but we have to understand that when we 
We see other people. Do you give them the same allowance for brokenness that we have? The, the truth, to, to, to one of the ways that I would define the truth for you is that it's the, it's the truth about the situation, the reality, that truth is a representation of things as they are. When we say that Jesus is the way, that's the way that he lived, that he's the truth, he taught us the truth about ourselves, and the more that you get to know him, the more you see yourself more clearly, where you say, I've broken all of the Ten Commandments. I've messed up, and though I strive, and no matter how good I get in living in holiness, when I see other people, this is one of the things that I believe that Jesus will show you as you walk with him. When I see other people in their sin, in their addiction, in their problems, I see a mirror. I don't see judgment. I don't have hate for them. I don't have anger at them because until Christ got in my life, I was just like them. And scripture says that those who've been forgiven much, loved much. And I actually think it's one of the places where someone who's grown up in the church has a struggle over someone who got saved later in life because someone who got saved later in life, they're like, I remember being a mess just like that. And when we look at the truth of Jesus, when we look at the holiness of Jesus, it should create in us humility. And it should create in us the desire to say, we need to break through whatever barriers we, we have to to go and reach people like that because they deserve to know the truth. They deserve to experience freedom from the things that are locking them up. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Jesus said that he wanted us to have life and he wanted us to have it abundantly. And I want to compare, you know, I, I talked about, you know, here's the world's ladder that we often try to climb. But God, we know that God calls us to something different. And this is what I see play out. Like Jesus calls us to an abundant life. And we're like, okay, I want the things that you want for me, Jesus, but I also want the things that the world says that I should have. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on to you with one hand, but I'm gonna hold on to the world with the other hand. And when you get started, you feel like you could do this. Like, this is good. Like I go to church on Sunday morning and man, it's encouraging and it's life-giving and there's friends there and I have people to hang out with and people pray with me. They brought me meals when I was sick and that was good but man, I want to look cool amongst my work friends. And so I want to talk the way that they talk. And then it's like, you start to realize, okay, I'm not as flexible as I once was. I think, I think maybe one more step this way, but I can't, I can't do one more step that way. And it's like the things of God are pulling against the things of the world. And there's, there's going to be a crash if I keep going this way. And some of you guys, like you'd say, I'm, a, I'm following Christ, but life doesn't feel very abundant. In my experience, even if the things with God are right and the things with work are wrong, there's usually still some peace that you can find there. And it's not that we don't have worries, but it's like, I know my trust in God is such that I'm going to be okay. And some of you guys are uncomfortable in the way you're living your life because it's like you're you're trying to hold onto the world's ladder and you're trying to hold onto heaven's ladder and you're feeling stretched out and uncomfortable. And there's gonna reach a height and a point where God says to you, child, you can only serve one master. Who will it be? Will it be money? Will it be yourself? Or will it be me? This is the beautiful thing about the way of God and the will of God and the heart of Christ is he always provides an intersection for you to let go of that and just cling to him. He gives you a way out. 
My hope is that you choose to take it before you experience a fall. And for this illustration, I hope it's helpful, but I wanna clarify. Getting close to God, it's, it's not like a ladder, it's more like an elevator. Because you don't have to climb it. God opens a door and he invites you to move through it. Band, I'm gonna begin to, to wrap things up. And in fact, that's one of the things that he says. I'm gonna give you six I am statements as I begin to wrap up this message where Jesus is clarifying who he is to us. The first one is from the gospel of John chapter six, verse 48. And we'll put this on the screen where he says, I am the bread of life. You need strength, you need nourishment, you need to be filled, come to Jesus. He is the bread of life. Number two, he says, I am the light of the world. That where he goes, he provides clarity. He, he shows you where your steps will be. He looks different than the rest of the world. He is the light of the world. Number three, just like the elevator door, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. In John 10, 9. In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And in John 15, one, he says, I am the true vine. If anyone who stays connected to me, they're going to bear fruit. They're gonna do great things in their life. And this is who Jesus is. He is the way, he is the truth. He empowers you and he opens a door to you and he invites you in. Like I said, it's more like an elevator than a ladder because it's like when he opens the door, he says, I've done everything for you but you have to hear my voice and respond. In the passage where it says that he's like the shepherd, another time he says, my sheep hear my voice and they respond to me. I wanna let you know, if you've been going up the wrong ladder for far too long, if you've been trying to play the middle for far too long, hear his voice calling you in right now and choose to follow him. His words, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in Romans 10 verse nine, it gives us this clarity. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a statement that you have to choose to make. There's a heart position that you have to believe. And when you do that, he says, you've been brought in close. You have been forgiven. You have been saved. You have joined the way that Jesus walks. Go ahead and stand to your feet with me. And I'm gonna ask that, that you bow your heads and pray. And I wanna challenge you that if you have been outside of where God wants you to be, that if you have been walking away from him or you have never started your relationship with God, I want you to clearly hear and I hope that you feel the spirit of God pushing you and saying, this is the time to get it right. God so loved you that he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for your sin. And if you believe, and you can sense if you believe right now, you can sense if God is pushing you. And if you make the statement that you believe, that you declare it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved, you will be brought close. And before I pray, I just wanna challenge you that if right now you're like, I need to get things right with God today, would you just raise your hand for a moment so I know who I'm praying for? I see you, amen. Praise God, I see you, I see you. That's great. Praise God, you can put your hand down, I see you, there you go. Father, I thank you for the hearts in the room that are, that are getting things right right now. And I thank you that you showed us the way, 
that you showed us the truth and that you showed us abundant life. And right now, would your spirit just surround their heart and surround their mind? Would you move in a way that they sense that you're affirming to them, that you hear them right now and that you are close to them right now? And we thank you that it is only in your name that we can be saved. And we thank you that wherever you forgive, that you bring new life. And so would you just stir up that new life in our hearts and our minds today? We thank you that you love us so much that you sent our son. And and together we pray in our hearts, Jesus, you are Lord. We know that you rose from the grave to give us victory over death and sin. And help us to walk in that life today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together, church.